it's incredible, right? Everyone knows, everyone in the company, like salespeople, everyone, they just know, hey, in a few weeks, it will be end of cycle, we will get new stuff and we can yeah. tell, tell our clients and prospects about it. And with this confidence in being mostly green or, or all green, you get, you, you get trust from other stakeholders and it's just like things just start working. And for the teams themselves, from, from the people being uh, participating on the delivery, having full focus it's, is really a superpower. That is something that is really hard to get back from. And uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> I yeah. would, and, and I like to, to maybe sum things up. This raises the bar for me for any future role or company. I mean, this, like leaving this behind me and getting back to Kanban mm -hmm. or Scrum or whatever, that would be super hard. I don't know if I would do that. <laughs> Yeah. Welcome to Shapers and Builders, the show about better ways to deliver great software products. Today I'm speaking with David Sabata, who is CTO at ROI Hunter. Our conversation today is part of a series about companies that use ShapeUp, a delivery framework originally created at Basecamp. If you've never heard of ShapeUp, check the show notes for a link to the video Shaping in a Nutshell by Ryan Singer, former head of strategy at Basecamp and author of the book Shape Up, Stop Running in Circles and Ship Work That Matters. In our conversation, we talk about David's growth from individual contributor to engineering leader and his North Star principle of building a setup that he'd want to step back into as an individual contributor at any moment. David shares how he carefully managed his team's transition to ShapeUp by piloting it with a small team and generating early wins. How being strict on each project's allotted time has gotten the team to become true experts in fixed time variable scope and the huge leverage he gets from enabling project teams to focus completely on their work. Enjoy! Hey, David, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Mm, hello, happy to be here. Um, before we get into your experience with ShapeUp, I uh, want to just quickly run through your background, um, understand a bit where you're coming from, um, what your current role is. So if you don't mind, um, yeah, can you just walk us kind of through the formative steps of your career? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I'm a builder at heart. I have built websites, information systems, mobile apps, even a 3D rendering engine. And in my early days, I, I worked at the software for, for software agencies, but then I got the opportunity to be at the beginning of a new company that will build a new product. And that's how I got where, where I am to, to ROI Hunter. Um, I was one of the first two engineers. And as the company grew, I became a team leader then um, uh, the head of engineering, and now I'm serving as the CTO. Um, I still write code, but I'm also responsible for building uh, a good engineering culture. And I would say my personal North Star, North Star is to make uh, the culture so good that if I were to become an individual contributor tomorrow, I would happily accept that job. <laughs> and, and I think that, that uh, ties like, greatly to shape up. Right, the topic. Yeah, I, I I love it. That's a really cool uh, framing for yourself. Kind of create some an environment you step into as a, an individual contributor. 
Awesome. And uh, what what time frame are we talking here? Um, the steps you went through? Mm, the companies will be, I think, nine years old this year. Uh, it would be like two years at each stage for me, maybe roughly, roughly speaking. Cool. Do you like, so do you still remember uh, what it was like to be an individual contributor or is that kind of now uh, long gone in just new memory? No, in a way? no. I, as I said, I, I still, still like the job. It's the, I would say I became, I, I went to the leadership out of necessity in a way. Uh, there was no one acting as like a technical leader. The company was small. There was that there was no one to do it. Most people were on the business side of things. Yeah. And I just didn't want to leave it in this like freestyle mode. So I had some opinions. <laughs> so I shared <laughs> it. And and one thing led to led to another. But I still I still do write some code. Uh, of course, not as much as in, in the early days. And what company uh, size are we talking about then? You briefly mentioned in the beginning it was kind of leaning heavy on the business side. So I'd love to just understand um, ROI Hunter in, in numbers, how much engineers, how much in total, What's the what are the focus areas inside the team? Yeah, yeah. So the whole company is around 80 people, I would say. Uh, we have uh, several uh, branches. Uh, the... The headquarters is here in, in the Czech Republic, but we are also in London, Dubai, and Sao Paulo. And out of those 80 people, roughly 30 are product and engineering roles. So that's okay. Like we are, I, I would say we are as that's, that's, that's the thing, like compared to software agencies, right? We're building our own product and uh, the company I would dare to say is like product driven. So it's it's us coming up with what needs to get built it's us doing the discovery and and also and all those things so uh that's uh i don't know actually if it's if it's too much or too too few but uh yeah uh, those 30 people like a third of the company i think it's good and and we are most most of us are uh, located here in the czech republic and to go a bit full circle here, um, do you want to just give a few words on what you do at RI Hunter? Have what's um, what's your business, your products, and your customers? Yes. And uh, if I can throw in one more thing into the mix, is uh, how you are funded? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we build B two B software as a service. That's that's our product. And uh, what we do in a non <laughs> Not non business way, uh, or like this isn't going to be a business pitch, but like my translation, we do we help uh, online retail businesses improve their profitability, and we use uh, data for that. Right, we connect all the source sources, uh, we provide some insights, and then we let them also act on those insights. It's, it's not just reporting, but it's like going uh, all the way to making actions and then getting some data back from that. I, I, I don't think I need to go into details. This this isn't the, the thing, but it's, uh, I would say, B2B SaaS, that those are the parameters. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess that's enough context uh, on a high level. What I like to then understand is how that context shapes how you 
how you've designed the way you work maybe down the the road um that's you know sometimes um i was speaking last week with somebody where they also were in the in the b2b space um, but had partners uh, that they were selling a white label solution to and then they had all all these kind of custom requests and so they had a dedicated team to handle that part of requests so that do doesn't interfere with like the main product work and that's a bit the uh, context I, I like to get. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, in in this on that topic, I think we are actually in maybe kind of special position where we, we're trying to establish a new category of products. Like, uh, hey, let's everyone leverage your data this way, and yeah. uh, that means we get to do a lot of education towards our clients. Right? They don't know what they don't know yet, and uh, that makes us deciding what the roadmap looks like and uh, of course there are some some requests from from the clients as well if they are advanced but it's uh it's mo most of the work is is on us on, on most of the decisions so maybe that's also an interesting parameter yeah it is uh, for sure um and uh in terms of funding i, I don't did you mention oh, that or uh, no 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 well, we are vc funded is that something you feel in your day-to-day -day in terms of growth pressures? Uh, not not that much. I, I, I wouldn't say so. Um, we were kind of under pressure um, several years ago. Uh, we had this uh, we, we had this stage where, where it seemed that, like we had a stable product that uh, will do fine, but uh, it turned out it wasn't sustainable, right? We, we were... Com but, to put it shortly, we were competing with Google and Meta, and that is not a <laughs> position to be in. Uh, so we had to do to, to slightly pivot the business towards the data as, as we are in now. And uh, I assume our investors uh, had a say in that, but yeah. it's not like I would have a weekly session with them being being grilled or anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I think that gives exactly the context I was looking for because sometimes when you have VC backed companies that are just in in some sort of either critical situation or um, hyper growth um, that's happening, you can feel very viscerally that you are a VC backed company, right? Versus in um, in self funded or bootstrap companies, it's kind of more or less the same at all times in terms of um, growth pressures. Yeah, I, I think like post pivot, we're, we're still in, in the startup mode in a sense that we haven't really nailed the product market fit. We, we have like good indicators that we're getting there, but we're not at the phase that like, hey, this is it. Let's scale. Let's let's pour the yeah. money in. So, yeah. Cool. And um, we talked before, and you mentioned uh, also we briefly talked about this pivot that you went through, and um, and how ShapeUp connected to that, right? So I'd love to maybe take that as as something for you to run with and um, tell us a bit about how did you get into ShapeUp, how did you discover it, and and what were your early thoughts around around the framework as such? <laughs> this is actually kind of funny because the first time I found it was probably 2019 as it as it as it was re released 
I skimmed through it and I just put it away, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had to re rediscover it uh, like two years later when a colleague of mine brought it on our book club, like a, just a meeting where we pick a book, read a few chapters and then discuss it. And then it got me and I was instantly fascinated by it. <laughs> Interesting. That is kind of funny that uh, your first read doesn't seem to have been this wow moment. Yeah. Um, is, do you have any thoughts as to why that might have been? I, I didn't didn't do like a, a proper investigation, but I think I wasn't like my mindset was more on the builder side of things. I wasn't mm -hmm. uh, that invested in the engineering culture processes and so on. I, I wasn't in the role to fully control those. So it was like, yeah, yeah this is interesting. Uh, Basecamp was already known for doing things differently, but that was it, right? Yeah. Interesting. Cool. And so um, you mentioned that it was brought up in this book club round and and what made it so that at that time it did connect with you? <laughs> I think it just like hit all the right notes. Uh, I was reading it uh, and I was like, keep nodding my head and saying, yes, <laughs> yes, like this makes absolute sense. And it's, you, you know, with yourself, it, it can be provocative sometimes. Uh, it just... Uh, tears down some stereotypes or challenges them. So that, that was, that was it. Like, I, I, I like, I like challenging. So that was also, also an mm -hmm. ingredient, but all those topics like, uh, estimates, like we're, we're not a factory, we're inventing new things. We're being creative and it's super hard to, in, in, uh, to estimate something that you don't know what's going to be. So things like that, right. Uh, fixed time, variable scope. We were like stuck for a long time in this vicious loop of slow releases that made the product managers add more features to each of those releases, and that led even to to even slower releases. So that that was that was one one symptom that I saw, and maybe some other thing was was the pitch. Uh, that was the exact level of detail we were looking for, without without knowing. This is it, right? It connects the stakeholders and keeps enough space for the teams to do what they're best at. Things like that. You just go through it, and it was like, yes, this is. This. I was instantly tempted to try it out mm -hmm. uh, because I just it was it it almost seemed too good to be true. So I I had to test it myself. Cool. I, yeah, I, that definitely resonates. Uh, I think a lot of people. Um, share this uh, this experience of yes, this is this is uh, yes all of it. Um, and so you mentioned how I mean it fit with uh, some problems you were were observing, like you know preventing scope creep, these slowly uh, these really slow releases. Um, was there also some upside that was necessary fixing a problem that you were seeing? I think it helped us frame the role of product designers. Uh, we, we didn't have this role before and it came around the same time we introduced shape up or probably maybe a few months before, but we were still finding the fit, at least from, from my point of view. And this was actually a, a great clue on how to do it. So we, we split it in a way that the product managers are heavily focused on the shaping while product designers are actually part of the delivery team working in the cycles 
and this was this was actually a big help that uh i don't know we, we i don't think we we had a recipe for that before and, and shape up was really handy in that i that i think that's really interesting that you say that and that um shape up, up unlocked for you a bit the role of product product designer um, because it clashes with a lot of other stories that I've heard around adoption of ShapeUp where, um, let's say, a, a classical product designer role um, would understand themselves being heavily leaning towards the UX research side as well of things, kind of working a bit upstream, um, you know, being involved with user understanding, user testing, uh, and then rather handing stuff to the delivery side. Um, so I'd love to just understand the mm -hmm. profile of people that you have in the product design roles and why you feel it's a good fit on the delivery side, actually. Yeah, just, just to be clear, they don't work exclusively on the delivery side. Mm -hmm. They can also be um, d doing uh, what we call like a discovery cycle or maybe doing some research. We, we timebox those things to, you know, to, to be... Um, to have the same rhythm, but if they are part of the delivery team, it really helps to be to, to keep the flexibility, you know, because the uh, you the in the pitch there's this just like rough sketch or maybe a wireframe or something, and the team without the designer wouldn't have enough skills, I would say, like expertise, not really skills, like expertise yeah. to do the fine tuning do do the high fidelity and even like in cases where mid cycle you find out that you need to change something right so then then you have no designer and and who who gets to do those calls so that's the role of the designer typically uh they are really inter uh, important at the beginning of the cycle where the design comes together mm -hmm. But then they shift more towards uh, usability testing and uh, those things like gathering feedback. We, if possible, we like to do it in cycle. It can be challenging sometimes, but uh, if we are able to do the testing and then apply those learnings, then it's really a, an incredible uh, result. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um... That sounds really intriguing. How familiar would you say are the designers that you have with the medium of uh, code of front-end development of what's possible? Um, well, if you if you mean uh, compared to the base camp level, then not as much. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. They are really no, but that's designers. that's. Uh... Yeah, the Basecamp level is, I would say, front-end engineer equals designer in yeah, a way, right? Designer plus all of these other visual design um, skills. Uh, so they, I would say the core of those skills is like really um, be building user-friendly things, the UX, UI, keeping the design language, you know, uh, aligning, aligning it even uh, across teams. And uh, then the testing, usability testing, yeah. and researching uh, for for further work. And I, and I have to say, I'm, I'm not an uh, expert for for design roles, so I'm just like this is my yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah makes sense. Um, and but in terms of staffing, then um, 
we haven't gotten to this yet. I mean, you mentioned you have about a size of 30 people on the engineering org side. Um, maybe this is a good time to talk a bit about how is the org behind that setup? Do you have squads? Do you have a pool of people that you put on projects? Mm. We have always worked in, in teams, uh, dedicate like a cross-functional teams dedicated to some part of the product, some, some, a set of scopes to say, um, as we were rolling out shape up for the first time, it was a good opportunity. It was that, that that's how it connects to the, to the pivot, right? Um, we knew the scopes are going to change somehow, but we didn't yeah. know exactly how. So what shaped up allow us to do was to assemble the people for the exact bet and picking them out of their home teams uh, until mm -hmm. then. And by doing this for several cycles, we were able to find what are the new scopes. And, and, and some of them stayed the same. Some of them uh, were transferred to other teams. There were some new scopes, maybe some were removed. So we still do have uh, four teams, four cross-functional teams. Those teams have also stable uh, product designers assemble, uh, assigned to them. Uh, besides that, there's this like engineers, there's team leader, QA. I think that's it. Yeah, front and back end. Uh, so this is something that, that we uh, eventually ended with. It was like I, I had it. I had this set up in mind since the beginning. Uh, I do believe that we are not the company that would benefit from having a pool of people mm -hmm. or, or several pools defined by the roles. Our product is really, really wide in in terms of in terms of like domains you would need to know, and uh, splitting it into into several parts and assigning people to be experts in those parts. It's like more more practical. This is something that we that we 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 knew for a long time. So I, I wanted to stick to it, and uh, ShapeUp was a great tool to temporarily shuffle those people across the team and and those scopes. Yeah, I'd love to understand a bit more on this how how the first few cycles went and how that that fit into what you were doing. You just mentioned that you it kind of timing wise it aligned with the pivot and that you for the first few cycles um pulled people and kind mm -hmm. of put together an all-star team of sorts <laughs> um yeah talk me through the the evolution of the role out of shape up and maybe the learnings you had the struggles you had at the beginning and how you resolved them i'd love to spend a bit of time on that yeah 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 so Probably since the beginning, I knew if this was going to work, I would need to roll it out to all the teams eventually. But yeah. at the beginning, uh, we carefully selected uh, like one one bet, and uh, we tried to stick to all the best practices uh, we, we knew. Right, and uh, then we assembled the team. It was four people, including myself. Uh, we made it uh, a requirement for everyone to read the ebook <laughs> to uh, to align on the dictionary and, and, and the processes. And the, probably the most critical part was to ensure that everyone has the full focus. This this wasn't a regular thing before that, before shape up. 
So we took some calendar cleaning in order to get there. But after the cycle ended, it was, it was like certain that this is the superpower that, that we weren't aware of. <laughs> and mm -hmm. to, to, to compare it with the, with the business as usual, uh, that was for, for the remain, remaining people, the teams were typically using either Kanban or, or Scrum. So that was it. Right. And, uh, in that mode, you really split the work into small tasks and you keep switching between, between them or like maybe you like completing them. Sure. But, uh, it's not, it's completely different than focusing six weeks on a single thing and thinking about it on a higher level. So that was, that was amazing. Everyone was like, yeah, this is, this is great. This is great. And that was actually, I was able to tick off the first, uh, item on, on my master plan because other, other people and other, uh, teams were, uh, curious about it. Like, Hey, do you seem to be super happy? How, how is it working? <laughs> Why are you uh, smiling so much? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So that was it. Yeah, cool. first cycle. You mentioned that you carefully selected a bet and you gathered this team of four people. What were the your selection criteria, both for the bet and for the people? It was uh, for the for the people. It was uh, people who got uh, enthusiastic about shape up uh, reading reading the book, and it's it's quite some time ago, but probably were also available at the time. I, I cannot really yeah. say sure. Uh, and for the bet, it was something that we knew we, we didn't, didn't do some like proper shaping back then, but it was something we knew we want to do. So like we instantly bet, bet on it and, um, had very little dependencies. So we knew mm -hmm. the team would be able to deliver it and, uh, minimizing the risk. That was, that was the key. Yeah. So basically making, setting yourself up for first success, exactly, right? Something exactly. that you could actually do in six weeks. Yeah. I, mean, I was asking specifically also on, on the people side, because, um, some teams that I've spoken with, um, they discovered that shape up was, a, a a good fit for parts of the team, but not for others in terms of that. It, um, it does introduce a bit of pressure of making decisions that maybe previously you weren't um, weren't forced to make or enabled to make, you know, you can play it both ways. Yeah, I can confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> um, fortunately we have, we have some really great people and, uh, for many of them, this was, this was like unlocking their, their powers. They, they, they were always curious and, uh, provided like, uh, inputs for, for the, for the product roles, like, Hey, we can do this thing very easily it might so it might sound uh, hard from the product perspective but i as a as a software engineer can tell you this is actually really easy things like that right or yeah can we maybe improve this message to the to the users i don't think it's it's very uh, readable things like that so previously before shape up there and and i can i can testify that like from my own experience it wasn't clear when and where you should provide those like ideas, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. not to interfere with someone's job. Like I, I'm, I don't want to come to a product manager and telling them how to do things, like how to do their job, right? But having this structure of uh, 
a written pitch which everyone can comment on. We, we use Google Docs for that. So there's a ton, mm -hmm. a ton of comments and then having it on the right level that it still keeps enough, enough space for uh, small decisions being made for the team, by the team. This was something that unlocked those people who were maybe, maybe staying back a bit, not to, not, not, not to jump into someone else's uh, role or job. And that's, that's where those people sh uh, shined. Uh, yeah. It obviously didn't, not, not everyone was like that. And uh, some people are more focused on other things. So someone is maybe strong on, on the UI, on, on this like visual elements. Someone is a, a master of, of uh, CSS, things like that. But overall, it's a, it's a good mix, I would say. And it definitely... Uh, it, it gives you, like from, from a leader perspective, it, it gives you uh, a new area where, where the people can grow, right? So, yeah. hey, hey, hey my, my, my friend, you have some great ideas. Why don't you share it with the team? Why don't you propose some changes? Things like that. Yeah, definitely. I love the how you connected it to there not being a, a good time to give this sort of input before. Um, I can totally... I understand how that would be the case. So let's circle back a bit. You have the, you had now you have the first cycle under your belt, and it was a success. <laughs> and people are kind of asking, "Hey, what, what's what was step two on your master plan that you mentioned, <laughs> and how did you go from there?" Mm, well, we we were gradually converting people uh, to be in this in this shape up mode, and. Uh, it, it did create some some tension because um, not everyone you are you are like splitting splitting the, the the modes and not everyone is working in the same one and people who didn't try it yet they don't even know fully what is it about and how like what are what are the details what to expect so this was this was kind of tricky but but as i said we we knew and as as leadership we were committed to to go all the way through and eventually uh roll this out to everyone so after maybe three more cycles we were able to have everyone on board everyone had gone through a cycle and uh, our capacity by the end of the first year was four big bets or comparable amount of small ones so up to up to eight small but mm -hmm. that was also so, our, like a success criteria for for us as leaders this is something we we set to achieve hey i hope you're enjoying the conversation i wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and to let you know about the shapers and builders job board on shapers.builders yes that's the domain You'll find jobs in software development, design, product management, and other roles at companies that work with ShapeUp. Many of these roles are remote, and teams who use ShapeUp generally run at a more sustainable, healthy, and meaningful pace than the hamster wheel of two-week sprints. So if you're looking for a job in tech or trying to find great people, head over to the Shapers and Builders job board at shapers.builders. Now let's turn back to the conversation. You mentioned um, how there was a bit of a struggle, and I'd love to <laughs> double click on that because um, I'm, you know, that I think that's what people 
what other teams will value hearing that, you know, it wasn't all smooth sailing. And I'd love to understand a bit what the, what the concrete points of friction were and how you navigated them. Mm. I would say, uh, ironically, me as the, as the shape of ambassador, I had to push back several times because after the first bet being, being such a big success, everyone want like especially from the from the product product roles everyone wanted mm -hmm. to use it like hey i will write a page give me get me a team let's do this but they didn't necessarily saw the um the effort we put before that right like we we have read the book or we we had read the book uh we did all the the scope hammering or the de-risking everything and uh one of the struggles that I had with, with product roles was to say, like, this isn't about writing things down. It's that there are, that there's a reason why there are those mm -hmm. sections like rabbit holes, no goes. And uh, it is actually not a small job to come up with a, with a good and valuable pitch, right? And then also you need counterpart you need some some tech roles that will tell you if this is even possible and so on and not all the delivery roles are ready for it like they haven't read the book they they, they hadn't gone through all the steps we did so in a way me being the biggest fan i had to hold some people back so that was it was kind of funny was the book the main training material that you had, or did you start to develop stuff in-house, like case uh, case study and and guidelines or policies? I don't think we had any in in-house. We we only have a, a template in in the Google Docs, as I as I mentioned, and it the the book says it all. It was more about getting a grasp of it and making it a regular thing so with with every cycle everyone who was involved got better they they got better at shaping they they got better at uh maybe slicing and all those all those steps so it was probably just just a matter of time to to get there and and to to get the practice what helped and and what i uh started from the first cycle was a wiki page where i track the cycles what are the bets mm -hmm. for them how did they ended up so if it's if it's a red or green delivered or not and also some learnings so in the beginning it was a mix of, of red and green uh, red and green there were every cycle there were some learnings and as we were always able to get back to those and everything was on this one page it was it was a good help, I think. It was like, hey, we, we tried this before. It didn't work. Uh, we need yeah. to do it differently. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so you were accepting some reds as well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, um, what can you do? <laughs> right? So uh, I intentionally made it pretty strict. So as the, as the cycle ends, basically the team stops to exist right there's their school down they they may have other plans or, i don't know take a vacation or anything so yeah. i was like hey it's the last day of the cycle tomorrow there's no tomorrow mm -hmm. <laughs> it just needs to be done right so the reds sometimes it just didn't work but some reds were like hey we, we have 
all things ready. We will just like do the review and testing next week. And I was like, no, that's that's still a red. Sorry. And and over time, people calibrated and accepted this 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 being the bar, and it works fine. And actually, as as we got mostly green, or like, I think we we will all we've been all green for past a year or so. Uh, we allowed ourselves wow. to to decouple it and say, okay, it needs to be merged, it needs to be tested and everything, but we don't need to release it the last day, which is typically Friday. <laughs> we, yeah. don't need, we don't need to release it right away. So let's hit the, the merge button on Monday or, or something like that. But it still assumes that the team is no longer needed, right? That's That's the criteria. Wow. That sounds really gutsy, though, to say no, <laughs> you know, there's no tomorrow. Um, did you, I, I have to drill down on this, but did you really tr trash complete projects? No, 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 we, we didn't, we didn't throw the work away, uh, unless it, it proved to be just wrong way. In that case, yeah. it happened maybe once or twice, no, no, no biggie, but, uh, we let the people finish it uh, during the cooldown if if they if they wanted to, but we would still track it as red, and we would say, "Hey, it wasn't the success we were aiming for." So it was more, yeah. Maybe maybe it's more more of a mindset thing, but I I really wanted to keep the bar bar high and yeah. strict about it because, as I described the vicious circle before. This is exactly how you get there, right? You you keep losing and losing the rules, and then you have no rules at all. Yeah, I love. Yeah, that now that makes a ton of sense to say, because then you, as you said, you you have the high level view. You look at your list from the past year, and you see red, 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 and then it turning green, right? Yeah. And mostly green, and then all green, and it, so it's a snapshot rather of were we done within the cycle not was the project done at all but were we done within the cycle yeah yeah, yeah and true. it frames it all around that cool yeah and, and um, the guidance always on that was hey you you didn't finish on time that's like uh, yeah let's uh, let's acknowledge it but do you know what you could have done and and i was guiding the team back to this like i think this was this was maybe even the biggest change like we used to do fixed scope variable time like it's done yeah. it's done and this this turns the whole thing upside down so i was telling them you know how long you have you you, you have those six weeks you can you can uh, predict like uh, what you need to do in which week but you have variable scope this is your this is your knob that you can uh, you can turn around so do you know like I need to teach them that it is okay to cut some scope. Like it's the it's the must-haves and it's the solution that we want to build. We still need to solve the problem we, we set to, but there's so many ways to do it and, and the scale is really wide. So this is something the teams needed to understand and learn how to work with. What does your setup look like now? Like, can you talk us through the main rituals, tactics, uh, mm -hmm. rules, and roles that you have now? Yeah, yeah. So as we have pretty much pivoted, we were able to stabilize our teams. It was, for me, the indicator was that I no longer need to pick people across multiple teams to deliver a bet. 
So once this was settling down, we handed more power to the teams. So it is, I think it's still a, a shape up uh, uh, framework. We, we still use it for delivery, but most of the rituals shifted to the teams. So we have four, four teams, but they are like highly empowered. They, they decide what to shape. They have their own KPIs related to those scopes, right? Yeah. Uh, they write the pitches, they decide what to bet on. And me and other leaders, we just provide support, coaching, mentoring, and, and that's it, right? And, and to, to connect it to my personal North Star, I would love to work in a team like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, and so uh, do you have a betting table as well on top? Like, is that some, uh, something no, you no, use? No, not, not in a way that there would be like ready to go pitches going on, on the betting table. It's uh, more of a the team telling us here are the topics we are interested in, uh, maybe provide us with some guidance, but we realized we don't have the capacity to actually fully develop all the pitches, all the alternatives. And we just focused on what will realistically fit in the cycle. So maybe two small ones, one, one big one, something like that. Mm -hmm. One thing that also, I don't, I'm not sure if it's if it's mentioned in the book or or how how Basecamp does it, but uh, not all of the team members are necessarily working on the bets. Uh, we we did separate the, the planned work and the unplanned work. So that's typically mm -hmm. for one of one or two people dealing dealing with bug reports, uh, support questions, or or any other ad hocs, right? To to protect those who need the full focus. Yeah, that's. Um... That's actually a tactic I've seen a lot of teams develop that they have this on-call person that just rotates. Um, and so you'd have across four teams, you'd have four people kind of on call at any given moment. Is that how, how it then plays out? It, it, it's actually the team's decision how to allocate the people. There are things like vacations and, and yeah. maybe personal preferences or like someone wants to take a break, work on some tech debt, maybe things like that, or someone has a personal development pro um, project, things like that. So we leave it on the teams and they say, and they, they say, Hey, we are going to do these two bets. It will, it will use those X amount of people. And these two guys will sit on the bench for, for the cycle work on, on other things. Right. So we don't, we don't need to use the full capacity of like everyone to be on the bed. Like you, you still yeah. need some buffer. So that's, that's the reason why we do this. And uh, the staffing or that, that decision is that, um, I'd love to understand a bit the culture then you have inside of those teams. Uh, is that the product manager driving this or is it really, a um, uh, kind of, um, the dem dem democracy uh, inside of them <laughs> it's the it's the team leader making the call like and and that's a technical technical person and uh -huh. since since there's always just one designer it's more of a question like whether whether designer goes into delivery mode or discovery or doing some research so that's mm -hmm. easier but for the for the engineers 
it's about some agreement, right? So the team leader kind of gathers the preferences. They would know their strong and and weak sides, you know, like it's the yeah or like an organizational thing. And it as a team leader, you would know your team, you know, you, you know your people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Um I'd love to talk a bit more about shaping. Um, because that's something where I see teams struggle with finding the balance between being too prescriptive versus too open-ended mm -hmm. and also um, involving other functions in what gets built. Um, yeah, maybe let's, let's talk about that. Is that something that you actively um, push? uh in how kind of the, the the business side works into what gets developed or is it really driven solely by by the product squads the, the it, teams? Is, it is mainly driven by, by the product teams or, or those teams i mentioned the leadership still provides some context and uh connect across the teams so it is a mix of top down and bottom up but mainly bottom up i would say Right. So the shaping, um, if I if I were to talk about challenges with shaping, I think it was mainly about finding the right amount of work. Right. So mm -hmm. it was, I don't know, maybe even connected to, to the early days where uh, there was like so much scope creep. Now, actually, I was able to, to anticipate based on the author of the pitch to know if it was just a huge one or the one where you would even deliver the nice to haves. So this is yeah. something we, we had to balance and it took us some time to calibrate um, to actually balance the voice of the team and the voice of the author. So yeah, that's that's probably another, another case where it helped us to keep track of everything. And as I mentioned that I also write down the learnings, I, I would write hey, this was a really huge one and we shouldn't do it again, right? Mm -hmm. And the technical technical voice at the beginning or even until today, it's, it is still me to some degree at uh, like a higher level things. I usually operate on like the systems level, right? Like how are those big boxes connect to each other? How are the teams aligned and so on? And on the on the final level, there are usually the team leads, as I said, those are technical people, or the the whole team during the cooldown. So they have mm -hmm. some time dedicated to provide feedback right before the the next cycle kicks off, just and also to get familiar with with what's getting built. And this is this is actually a a, a nice illustration of like. If, if a bet is like super huge, it would take so much time of the whole team to make it smaller. So you, you, we, we would still mm -hmm. do some scope hammering and it would eventually become deliverable. But if it starts too big, it takes so much effort to make it reasonable. So it is much better, obviously, to start reasonable and avoid spending that time. But th th that yeah. was something that we need to like realize and actually be mindful of. Did you um, facilitate this sharing of insights in any 
ritual, like, you know, in Scrum, you would have a retro of retros across teams, or was it really more free, free flowing, um, ad hoc kind of sharing of, of learnings? We actually experimented with, with different um, ways of working, ways of synchronizing, uh, during the cycle and all the teams eventually settled on the same that is being like daily text updates over slack and a weekly retro slash progress update slash demo so uh that is the place where i would gather some some of those insights and especially in the final week there's the the retro is like more more of a closure like hey it's done this is what worked this is what didn't and we have this this template of like five maybe five questions like how was the pitch was it well written how how well uh did we organize our time Think, things like that this is this is where i get uh, the most valuable insights cool yeah the um the issue that i personally just have experienced with written daily updates is uh, that they tend to you tend to get into a mode where you're saying I'm working on X and on the next day you say, I, I finished working on X and now I'm working on Y or I'm still working on X. Um, does that resonate or mm. are you just? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it does. It's, um, we, we're not that strict about the dailies. So it's fine if you, if you skip a bunch, but, uh, it is at least in, in, in my view, it is a way how to signal that maybe you would need someone's attention or, or collaboration or something like, uh, uh, Hey, I just finished with, with this, this dialogue here. So I will need the design for the next one. Th things like that. Uh, if it's, it, it really depends on, on the bat. In, in some cases you need really tight collaborate collaboration in others. You have, backend guys doing backend frontend guys doing frontend and and that's it like they connect in in a week or two and that's it so it really depends but that's where that's where the weekly like online meetings actually uh are useful and that's where you get that that's where you look at the slices you take off those that are done you see hey how many are we having uh, like are left before we need to finish how many weeks we have um are we ready for usability testing things like that is that one big demo uh where all of the teams present or is it per team and how how are you involved there it is per team it is per team uh i am an optional guest <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, i don't always manage to to visit all of them but uh, it is always recorded and i do like to get to maybe every other and always the last week to, to get a sense of progress, to see if, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I have like regular meetings with some of the people, but not all of them. So it's, it's more of a health check for me. And, uh, yeah. since they also do demos, it's, uh, always nice to see progress. Right. So I'm, I'm always happy when something is done, it looks great. So that's just to yeah. please myself. <laughs> Was was that a change in how you worked that you had to make, or did you always have a kind of a demo culture? We didn't actually. We we did try to push it, but it probably didn't fit in the way of work. It was this like, hey, everyone's doing demos. Uh, we would like to see some progress, but there wasn't 
probably enough progress, right? So we we needed mm-hmm. to get into this like shipping mode, like getting things done, and then it was able to do demos. It's a from my side, it was actually a good forcing function for the teams to do those those, those like slices across all the functions, mm-hmm. right? So you need to, you need to be able to show something typically in week two like it can be a an, an ugly yeah. unstyled page but it should it should do something you should be able to click a button so that's that was my guidance and then eventually the teams just uh, took over and they are like uh, really proud of presenting demos to, to themselves and to others if, if someone else has joined cool yeah i was gonna say that the vertical slices um could be a nice enabler for having early demos of actual stuff that's working, but it's only like one part of it. Yeah, 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 exactly. So we're coming up a bit on time. Um, and I'd maybe just get your, uh, like, a, a look back on what do you, do you feel like any of the challenges that you encounter would have been preventable or what are your biggest learnings? Um, in, in adopting ShapeUp, your kind of what recommendations would you make for other teams in thinking mm-hmm. about ShapeUp? Mm-hmm. I was I was thinking how ShapeUp fits if if it really needs a company to be of a certain to to have some some culture or some background. And I still yeah. don't know. I only implemented it in in one company so far, so that's that is to be seen. But I don't think I would do anything differently. Like there were bumps on the road that's that's normal but it did work out and it turns out it is actually so powerful that i can see other parts of the company adopting the language of shape up not necessarily the practices and the processes but uh the terms like cycle scope hammering must have rabbit holes they are understood by other people and and used you know like maybe in in business uh cases or something so it, it is really interesting uh, a colleague of mine is actually thinking about using shape up outside of development so i'm curious to mm-hmm. see how that goes what know. team would that be uh more like a product marketing and and other other functions so i don't know Maybe maybe there will be a case study about that in uh, in some time or one day, but, uh, yeah. but the overall overall feelings are great. Like it was so much, it it it, it improved the position of uh, development teams so much across the company when we started shipping regularly, like regularly and on schedule. It's it's incredible, right? Everyone knows everyone in the company, like salespeople, everyone they just know, hey. In a few weeks, it will be end of cycle. We will get new stuff, and we can yeah. tell tell our clients and prospects about it. So that is one, and with this confidence in being mostly green or or all green, you get you you get trust from other stakeholders, and it just like things just start working. And for the teams themselves, from from the people being uh, participating on the delivery having full focus it's is really a superpower that is something that is really hard to get back from and uh, i wouldn't <laughs> I yeah. would, and, and i like to to maybe sum things up this right raises the bar for me 
for any future role or company. I mean, this, like leaving this behind me and getting back to Kanban mm -hmm. or Scrum or whatever, that would be super hard. I don't know if I would do that. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. <laughs> um, yeah, that was actually, I mean, this is a bit off topic, but that was the origin story for, you know, I created this um, Shape Up job board as a side project where um, the company I had been working at uh, was getting liquidated, uh, unfortunately, as part of the COVID pandemic. And we had adopted Shape Up and I was feeling similar <laughs> things like, oh man, I had so much time to really think about what's next, just coming from a product manager role, right? Where you have a six week cycle, you also have kind of six weeks to prepare the next thing. Whereas in a scrum setting, it's, you know, more like, oh shit, it's Thursday again, it's kickoff. What are we going to pull into the next sprint? Um, and you think more about ticket level things and that's i was like you know i gotta somehow identify companies that work with shape up so i can <laughs> find jobs there that is actually a good trick yeah uh yeah. the job board for shape up companies that's so great. if you're hiring uh this is my invitation to post your jobs there of course <laughs> thank, um, you. thank you um cool i uh i do you have any last things that you think would be relevant that maybe we haven't covered yet? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, I think like all the listeners are already curious at least about shape up or even putting it into practice. So I'm just happy that the word is spreading. Definitely. And, uh, on that note, what would be like, if somebody would be interested in, uh, engaging deeper with you and your experience, is that something you'd be open to? And if so, what would be a good way to reach you? Yeah, absolutely. Just hit me up at LinkedIn. That's the, that's the best way. Cool. Yeah. I can attest to that. And I'm going <laughs> to, <laughs> I'm going to leave your link in the, in the show notes to your profile. Cool. Um, maybe to end on something completely unrelated, and this is again, a personal experience, a uh, personal interest of mine, uh, I'm being very selfish here, but do you have any resources in terms of books, videos, whatever that, that influence the way you think about product development, but that aren't from the nece necessarily on the topic of product development. I mean, to give you, um, to give you one of my examples is there's this book called a swim in a pond, uh, in the rain. I have to look it up. Is that the title? Yeah, I think so. By George Saunders, which is about, um, uh, kind of a, a masterclass on seven Russian short stories and how storytelling, how great storytelling works. And I found that to be really interesting to my work as a PM, like thinking about different aspects where you have to do storytelling. So like really left field stuff. I don't know if you have any of those, but if you don't feel free to just drop your favorite recommendations in terms of books. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to disappoint you a bit. <laughs> I'm not, uh, that much of a reader and, uh, besides the, the, the classical things like no rules, rules and those things, I, the, the most inspiration I get is from the people around me. So they read the books and then I get the, the, the distilled insights, maybe around product discovery, maybe around, I don't know, pricing and, and various product things. So that would be it. Just having great people around me. 
Cool. I mean, they love to hear this. Yeah. And, but, <laughs> so but, shout out to your team. <laughs> yeah, but it is harder than buying a book. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. I really, this was fully packed with really cool insights. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy uh, hearing this and getting to learn from you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with David. I certainly did. If you like this show, please leave us a favorable review on your podcast platform of choice. And to find jobs at companies that work with ShapeUp, like our iHunter, remember to check out our job board at shapers.builders. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a great day.